0: By the way, it occurs to me that um, that sheet that uh, Chris doodly, doodly, dutifully—boy, that's my second—and I mean, I'm a guy that likes words. Yikes! Um, dutifully prepared is uh, just waiting for your name on it. Um, if you need some help with the spelling on the name, don't come to me. But it occurred to me, and all kidding aside, uh, I don't know of any of of you that like going to funerals. I don't. (laughs) I don't like going to funerals. Do you know one ministry that I don't think is listed on that sheet? Unless Chris, if it is, you can correct me. Is uh, showing up at a funeral for someone you care about. And I'm just here to say to you, I appreciate those of you who did? And that took some time out of your day, and I realized that. But I think if you would ask Shelley, and she's back there, and you can at the end, if that meant something to her, I think your pretty good answer will be yes. You know, some not everybody can, and I, I get that. I'm not this isn't about raking you over the carpet, as it were. It is about commending to you, I think, a ministry. It may not be on the sheet, but I think speaks volumes to those who are going through the issues. Genesis chapter 18, if you would, please. I need you all to show up, by the way, next week. (laughs) I feel like Elijah, and I, and I alone. I mean, some people are going to Detroit, some people are going north, some people are going east and west, and uh, so anyway, uh, show up (coughs) if you can. How many friends, uh, how many friends have you had in life? I asked the teens this morning, I asked them to write down uh, who they would consider to be their friend. I ask them to write down who might be their acquaintances and I'm suggesting to you there is a difference. My question to you is uh, how many friends have you had in life and how much could you ask of them? I have a and this may seem odd. It seems, in one sense, uh, I suppose a little odd to me, too. I have a, a friend that I met uh, when I was in seminary and uh, serving at the other Bethel Baptist Church that's been part of my life. And uh, we became friends uh, in, in not so good a way. His, uh, I'll never forget it. He came into my office and dis- had discovered that his daughter was being promiscuous with um, another person in the youth group, and he didn't know what to do. I'll go into all the details. We worked through that, and ultimately we became um, extremely close friends. I wound up leaving that Bethel and moving back to Arizona, and we um, we have continued our friendship rather indirectly for the other years. The interesting thing is I... You know, I, you don't tend to write people as much as you want and you don't tend to say the things that you should. And my son happened to stay at his home a number of years ago and, and he said, I still consider your dad to be the best, my best friend in life. Best friends would do incredibly difficult things for people. And so what I want to talk to you and I'm, you have to keep in mind I'm on the tail end of a funeral and my mind hasn't totally come full circle yet. So, um, but as I looked at this passage and I thought about everything that's happened to me over the last couple of weeks and all of these things, it's, it, it, it's mindful. But so here's my thought for this morning. Our relationship with God is only as strong as our pursuit of his presence. I want you to think about that this morning. I've titled the message, uh, Prayer on Steroids, which may not make much sense to you. But I have never found another prayer in scripture like this one. I have never found another relationship in scripture like this one you find in Genesis 18. It is the most amazing thing that I think I've ever read. Our relationship with God, don't want you to forget this, is only as strong as our pursuit of His presence. So the question I have, and I could shut up and sit down, but I won't, that wouldn't be fair or right or moral, is are you cultivating that presence? there are three, three real environments where that kind of presence lives. And I want to speak to two of them. I want to speak deeper to the third. So, the first one. That presence of God. So the question is, your relationship with God is only as strong as your pursuit of His presence. And His presence, folks, first of all, is where we enjoy His fellowship. First of all, his presence is where we enjoy His fellowship. Now, I didn't give a lot of attention to this last week, but I want you to look at 18, 18.1. Now, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And Abraham is sitting down, and I, and I personally believe contemplating what God would have for him next. He had gone through the circumcision, he has experienced amazing things in his life, and I would argue that he's on somewhat of a growth spurt. In other words, Abraham is in that wonderful process. He is under construction. God is working on him. He is learning things. He is learning to trust God, and it's not easy. And he is, he is waiting for the next step in that process, and in and, and, and through the front door, as it will, as it were, walks three individuals. Two of them, we find out later, are angels. One of them, I believe, is the Lord Jesus himself. Walks right in his front door. Before I go any further, I'll ask you, what would it be like to have Jesus for supper? And don't go all the corny answers. Don't go there. I wonder if it would change. I asked the teens, by the way. What if Jesus came to dinner? Would it change the subject of your conversation? Would you tell him how many family Bibles you have in the house? That's what I always want to do with preachers. Well, I got this Bible over here. Man, I'm so holy. I got Bibles throughout this house. I got King James. I got New American Standard. I got Old King James, New King James. I got the whole King James family. I got the authorized version, the unauthorized version. God walks right through Abraham's front door. I wonder what that would be like for you. When he lifted up his eyes, verse two, and, be, looked, behold, there were three men standing opposite him, and when he saw them, he ran from. he didn't run away, he ran to them. Why? Because he, he wanted to have fellowship with him. Here's a guy who is growing and wants to know the next step in his life as he walks with God. He's not running away from God, he's running to him. How many of us do that? He ran from the, from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth, and he said, My Lord, now if I have found favor in your sight, please do not let your servant pass by. It is in the presence of God where we enjoy his fellowship. We don't run away from it. We run to it. We run to it every chance we have an opportunity. We want to fellowship with God. Why? Because we love him. Please let, verse, verse, uh, verse 4, please let a little water be brought to wash your feet. That's a sign of graciousness to come into an Eastern home. And I will bring a piece of bread. I'll get Deb needs dough right on it. <laughs> that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on. Fact of the matter is, there's Deb needs dough right here. Verse 6, so Abraham hurried in the tent to Sarah. Hey, Deb, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour and knead it. K-N-E-A-D, knead it and make some wonderful cinnamon rolls well bread cakes <laughs> you laugh but as i mentioned yesterday one one two very important items in fellowship is food and music it calms the soul and music and uh, music calms the soul and food nourishes the body for which fellowship can be undertaken Ran in verse 7 to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and hurried to prepare it. He took curds. I asked the teens this morning if they ever had milk curds. They just kind of turned up their nose. Boy, I really love those babies. They squeak when you eat them. You ever had them? Cheese Cheese curds. Took curds and milk and calf which he had prepared and placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. This wonderful opportunity for fellowship. Folks, fellowship, don't miss this. Don't, don't, don't leave this, don't consider this, this isn't a hamburger and french fries offered at Arby's. This, this, is, an under, this is undertaking these angelic beings and God himself into your home and recognizing is that that is a precious place to be. Fellowship that is more A blessing than a burden. And I find it wonderful here that God was a welcome guest in his life. I meet so many people in my week or month or whatever you want to say, who for them, God is a burden that they have to carry, not a blessing they can enjoy. And I feel sorry if you're in that camp. I look forward to fellowshipping with God I look forward to fellowshipping with God's people that's why I ain't coming next week because most of you are going to be here <laughs> you ain't coming, I ain't coming no, I'll be here I look forward to fellowshipping with God's people I was doing that before I ever decided to enter the pastorate and that's fact, the fact of the matter is my wife and I concluded hey we're at church all the time anyway might as well get paid for it a little more than that. Is that what your husband decided? Sure, I'm doing everything. I might as well get paid for it. Well, there you go. <laughs> but he had you. Oh, he had me. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I'll have your funeral. <clears throat> there you go. Truth hurts. Here's the thing, folks. You're looking at a man who is growing in his relationship with Christ. He wants God in his life. And the question I have for you is, do you? Are you you simply... Are, are you simply putting up with him because you know you've guaranteed your salvation? So you've got to go through the. Abraham is on a growth spurt. Now it isn't all going to be good. He's going to he's going to crash and burn. But we but but he is in the process of growing in his ways uh, in his relationship with the Lord, and he is looking for ways to further that. Come stay a while. Share with share with me. Speak to me. Now. What the angels share to me, or to him, I've, I've already touched on a little bit. But I want to I move to the second comment if I can. Not only in cultivating his presence, is, is that the, that's the place where we enjoy fellowship. Secondly, it's here where we engage his plan. It's in the presence of God that we engage his plan for our lives. And I was in uh, Campus Crusade for Christ years ago, we had the four spiritual laws that, you know, we used as a, an evangelistic tool. And one of them is God, I can, you know, I can remember it still today, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Does he? Yes. And, and Abraham is on the front edge of that wonderful plan that's, that the angels or that the Lord lays out, beginning in verse 9. Now, I won't go through all of that. But 9 through 14, they remind him that Sarah is going to have a son. In her advanced age, God can do it. And then in 17, the second part of the plan is, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram what I am about to do? You don't hide from your friends what the plan for their life is. Unfortunately, for some people, they spend their life, they get, maybe they even get saved, but they have no interest in what God's plan is for the life. And I don't get that. If you are enjoying sweet fellowship with the Lord, then you you will discover God's plan for your life. Now you think about that for a minute. You say, well, I don't know what God's plan is. Then I come back to question one. Are you cultivating a presence where his fellowship is welcomed? And, you know, I won't go back over all of this But verse 18, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations and the earth will be blessed, for I, 19, have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, keep those two words in mind, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. That's God's plan for his life. We recognize when we begin to embrace God's plan that he has something for us that's larger than ourselves. It's a bigger plan than us. His presence and the pursuit of God's presence is simply the first presence is simply the first step in a wonderful adventure. The Tellmans that we now support in Uganda were members of my former congregation. I watched them come into the congregation as a young couple, freshly married. At that point, I think they had two children. Now they have eight. Seven, Seven? Eight? I don't know, 15, I don't know. Water's really good in Uganda. <laughs> but I, I watched Jim Tellman for a number of years grow like a weed in his Christian life. And then, by God's grace, his business took him to Florida. And I remember having a conversation with him because he was looking to take some courses from Moody Bible Institute that they were offering in the the area of Florida, Florida where he was living. He got involved in a great church, took classes from Moody Bible Institute. And the next thing I hear, Pastor Mark, God's calling me to the mission field. How does that work? Jim didn't come from a quote-unquote religious family. There's no people in the ministry in his family. He grew up in a Christian Reformed home, married a gal who at the time was struggling in her own relationship with Christ. They came together. They began to see God's will for their life. And he's now serving faithfully in Uganda, doing great things for God in a plan that's bigger than him. You're going to ask him 20 years ago, 10 years ago, if he ever thought he'd be... in. Halfway around the globe, he just said, You're nuts. It's here, it's in the presence of God that we engage his plan. I happened to pull the, the song of When I Survey, or the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Love that hymn. Verse four, a stanza four, were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If you wish to be present for the blessing of God, folks, you must embrace the burden of God. You must get out of this what's-in-it-for-me mentality that has been fostered upon us, even from churches. Become all you can be. God wants you to be happy, always, prosperous, rich. you got to get out from under that baloney and see the plan of God, which is... Much, much larger than you. Now, if you notice, I want you to notice something. What is the burden? Well, the burden shows up in verse 20. Look at the burden. Now, again, picture picture this scene. God has come to your house. You have served him your food. You have shared with him friendship. And he has shared with you his plan for your life. And then he says in verse 20. uh, By the way, I need to stop here. Some of you, I, I know some of you think that this isn't the Lord Jesus Christ. And my question to you then is who in the world is it? And why did Moses print those words in capital letters suggesting it's God? I'm here to tell you folks. Two angels. One God and one Lord Jesus Christ, I should say, as, as the personage of that God. So, literally, Jesus has come to dinner in Abraham's house. And look at this. Can you imagine, by the way, asking, what, what's on your mind, Jesus? I tell you, I've been to many homes over the, my 25 years, and I think our people and people from my former church have learned a long time ago never ask me what's on my mind. They don't want to know. It may cost them something. Oh, here comes that preacher. You know what's on? You want to know what's on God's mind? Verse 20. And the Lord said, L-O-R-D, capital. The outcry of, this is amazing, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, I was telling the teens this morning, most scholars think that uh, Abraham and uh, and uh, the Lord were having this conversation, probably on the hill that kind of looks over the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, so they could see them. What would that be like? And the Lord said, "The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave." I will go down now. This is obviously, you know, helping you understand that God is not oblivious to what's going on in our lives, among other things. But 21, I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Which leads me to the third aspect of God's presence. Not only is it here where we enjoy his fellowship, not only is it here where we engage his plan, it's here where we enlist his power. It's here in his presence where we enlist his, his power. And what unfolds now. Look at 23 or 22. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. While Abraham was still standing before the Lord. The two angels go on their way. And and Abraham's having a face to face with God. Now I don't know where anywhere else in scripture you find this kind of thing. That's why the Bible is so wonderful folks. It takes it takes relationship with god out of the closet and brings it right on the mountain abraham god look at the t- look at the conversation abraham came near and said will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked now i want to i want to suggest to you here you you are reading Something that is God's initiative. But I want you to understand how how now how comfortable Abraham feels at being in God's presence. When you're comfortable about being in God's presence, you don't mind asking him for huge things. Right? When you're afraid of him, and you're uncomfortable in his presence, it's word. You're afraid to ask him for stuff. Keep in mind, this is God's initiative. But, but Abraham is growing to see the bigger picture. That's what happens when we grow up in Christ. We we begin to grow grow up and see the bigger picture. We begin to to understand a little more of God's justice and his mercy and how that unfolds. And the other thing I want to mention to you here is there's no mention of Lot. So if if as some would say, well, he's just concerned because Lot's there. Well, that may be true, but he doesn't even mention his name. He's concerned about all those other people out there who are on their way to a Christless eternity because they can't get out of Sodom either physically or morally. And he never mentions Lot. Now, I don't have any... My extended family is that woman right there. I mean, I have no brothers. I have no sisters. See, Tony, what you have to deal with? See, Maddie, what you have to deal with? But I can't imagine that if I had a little nephew and he was stuck in a bad place and I'm talking with God and somewhere in that conversation that little nephew's name wouldn't come up. The interesting thing is here, Abraham never brings the name, Lot's name up. Now obviously he knows he's there. My point is the picture for him has gotten a lot bigger. It's God's initiative. Verse 17, we know that. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And God is wonderfully drawing Abraham in to a greater understanding and enlisting him in his power. This is what, and don't misunderstand this, this is what a growing spiritual relationship looks like. A burden for the lost, not ignoring the evil that's there, but suffering over its consequences. In fact, look at verse 25 in this interchange. He keeps going back, he keeps going back to God and we think, we think maybe well, well, he's he's pushing God. But but God is the one that is allowing allowing Abraham to keep pushing the envelope. It's God doing that. It's God saying, okay, Abraham, you want you want some prayer answer? Keep pushing, keep pushing. We we have not because what? We ask not, or we ask amiss. Look at 25, 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked mm. so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike mm. far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly he recognizes that god god is at his Core At at his center, someone who is interested in perfect justice and perfect righteousness. And yet, he is also interested in those lost folks in Sodom and Gomorrah. One man writes, Abraham is feeling his way, I love this, is feeling his way forward in a spirit of faith where he, he grasped the range and righteousness of God's rule. It's like, it's like learning to take those steps that are so hard initially. I don't know if you remember what it was like to learn how to write. I forgot quickly. But I remember, this is going back the way before the earth had completely cooled. We had these big old fat pencils. And I think they sharpened them with a pocket knife. There was no pencil sharpener made that, that could get him. But I got that pencil, and I remember, you know, you had big paper with lines, you know, like that, why? This is 1960, folks. This is 1962, folks. What do you expect? Or it's 63, actually. And you're you're struggling to make each letter. I remember, I to this day, I remember picking up that big old fat pencil and trying to write those letters well, and my hand getting all sweaty. And, and, just, and, and eventually getting something that at least my mom could read. That's what's going on in Abraham, Abraham's life. He's, he's learning to take the steps of faith that are part of being in God's presence. See, our relationship with God is only as strong as our pursuit of His presence, but it's in its presence where we enjoy His fellowship. It's in His presence that we engage His plan, and it is in His presence where we enlist His power. F.B. Meyer is a wonderful commentator who lived generations ago. He writes this, Six times Abraham returned to the charge, and as each petition was granted, his faith and courage grew. And finding he had struck a right vein, he worked it again and yet again. It looks at first sight as if he forced God back from point to point and wrung his petitions from the unwilling hand. But this is a mistake. In point of fact, God was drawing him on. And if he had dared to ask at first what he asked at the last, he would have gotten more than all that if he asked or thought at the very commencement of his intercession. This was the time of his education. He did not learn the vast extent of God's righteousness and mercy all at once. He climbed the dizzy heights step by step. And he gained each step and he was inspired to dare another. What a pity he stopped at ten. There is no knowing what he might have reached had he gone on. As it was, the Almighty was obliged by the demands of his own nature to exceed the limits placed by Abraham in bringing him out of Sodom, the only persons that could by any possibility be accounted righteous. And so, he concludes, it is so that God educates us still in ever-widening circles. He tempts his new-fledged eaglets to try the sustaining elasticity of the air. He forces us to ask one thing and then another and yet another. When we have asked our utmost, there are always unexplored remainders behind. And he does exceedingly abundantly above all. There were not ten righteous men in Sodom. But Lot and his wife and his two daughters were saved, though three of them were deeply infected with the moral contagion of that place. The point, though, he just keeps bringing Abraham along. I want to ask you this morning if you're in God's presence. I want to, I want to ask you this morning if that's a foreign place to you or a place of warmth. An invitation. And I want to ask you. If your relationship with God. Is strong. And I want to ask you. If you're pursuing him. Let me leave you if I can with three I think statements that move hopefully will move you from hearing to doing. Let me start from something we all appreciate, and that's food. Is God welcomed at your table? Or would his appearance at your table cramp your style? Would it change your conversation? Change the jokes you tell? Change the bitterness you feel? The attitude you have? Is God welcomed at your table? Or does His appearance, or would His appearance at your table change your ability to have real fun? Secondly, Is God welcome in your will, your, what you conclude the will for your life is? In other words, have you opened your will up to God? Is He welcome in your will? Does His plan matter in your life? What if He would, what if he would drop by and say to you, You know, I don't like where you're going. I don't like the direction you're going. I don't like the company you're keeping. I don't like, I don't like the lack of time you've spent me. Would, would it matter to you. Is God welcome in your will? In your will, what you want to do, what you hope to achieve, what your plan is. Don't you understand, God, I got a plan I want you to put your stamp of approval on it. It's a good plan, I made it, and it's good. Hmm. Thirdly, is God's power welcome in your wishes? Is God's power welcome in your wishes? Do you, well, do you know Him well enough? Here's the thought. Do you know Him well enough to press Him? To plead with Him? Six times Abraham went to God he just kept he just kept feeling the fellowship grow. Do you know him well enough to press him? Of all three of my children, my daughter and I share the most, let's just say, aggressive a relationship. My sons have concluded, and we'll see how that works for them now, parents, that I gave Mickey far more rope than I gave. Sound familiar, Ron? That I gave Mickey far more rope than I gave the first two. Well, that partly may be true. We were determined when we had Joshua, he he would be perfect. And he is. (laughs) Just ask him. (laughs) But, But Mickey and I, and my wife, I believe, would agree with this, um, We get under each other's skin, but we we know each other thinks. We know how to talk to one another, and and we reconcile differences, and we we engage one another. And I am not afraid to say what she needs to hear, and and unfortunately, (laughs) thanks to Deb, she's not afraid to tell me what she thinks about my life. Having never raised (laughs) children. So when the chance came for me to finish my dissertation, she said, now dad, now don't muck this up. (laughs) I wonder if that's the kind of relationship you have with God. Bow with me, please. I don't know if you've heard the The warnings, if you live in New York City, those who are people that are, I guess, in in the weather fields are telling us that uh, in a number of years, New York will be underwater. And in fact, because of um, warming of the ice caps, the polar caps, the seas will rise and ultimately... uh, whatever number of years, New York will be underwater, or at least partially underwater. So that's going to mean, if that were true, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, that people are going to have to seek higher ground. I thought about that, and I recognize, Father, that the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is the outcry of our cities and towns. And the sin that involve, engulfs them is certainly great and is rising faster than we'd like it. And if you're not careful, it will overwhelm you, your home, your family, and your life. It's time. seek higher ground spiritually. It's time for once and for all for you to stop telling God you have no room in your home, no room in your will, no room at your table, and no room in your life. And it's time to grab the things that are most important to you, your possessions, your family, your your heritage, your life, and go for higher ground. You may think you have forever, I'm here to remind you, I just preached another funeral of someone who thought he had longer. It's time to head for higher ground. It's time to entertain God, it's time to welcome Him into your life, Father. Now, thank you as we as we end our time. Thank you so much, dear Lord, for this practical and great image I have of we have of Abraham pushing the limits, Father, asking you to to enter into his life and and to, and to do a work that he can't do and. Thank you for the privilege we have of watching him entertain you and engage you and enlist you. My prayer is now as we sing that, this might not fall on deaf ears. The culture is dying, Father. The sea is rising. If we don't head for higher ground soon, we'll be overwhelmed by the waves of sin and despair. Thank you, Father, now for the privilege we have of welcoming you into our lives for the sake of Jesus, for the honor of the kingdom, and for the blessings of God. We now pray it in Jesus' name we ask it.